This is the Historian's Podcast, and I'm Bob Cudmore. We welcome Norm Boland to the program. How you doing, Norm? Good, Bob. How are you? I'm okay. Norm Boland is going to tell us about his new book, George Washington and the Mohawk Frontier. Norm Boland grew up in Fort Plain. He lives in Amsterdam and is chairman of the board of the Fort Plain Museum and Historical Park. He's also founder and president of Mohawk Country, a group that promotes historic preservation and heritage-based tourism in the Mohawk Valley. He's a retired uh, restaurant operator. Um, And I deal uh, with you, Norm, or you and I see each other several times during the year. I had no idea you were working on on a book. When did you come to the conclusion you wanted to do that? Well, I started uh, not long after I got involved with the Fort Plain Museum again. Uh, I started collecting research, and uh, about two years into that, I realized, uh, you know, there's a good book here. And so I started uh, laying out the book, and I worked on it on and off over the next uh, 10 years or so, and actually finished it well over a year ago, and uh, finally just getting around to, uh, to getting it published and out there. Uh, you know, we really wanted to tell that story about Fort Plain and put it in its proper context uh, with what was going on uh, during the American Revolution in the Mohawk Valley. And that was my original goal with the whole thing. But, you know, it kind of blew into something bigger as mm-hmm. I got further into it. The Mohawk Valley in upstate New York was the frontier of the 1770s and 80s as the revolution was being fought. Can you explain the importance of the Mohawk Valley at that time? Well, uh, yes. Uh, in fact, we we had adapted the, the moniker we were calling it America's First Frontier. And uh, the Mohawk Valley was basically the only route into the interior of America. And that's, that would be, you know, with... Uh, people traveling by water, the Mohawk River was uh, not not a sea level route, but it was as close as you could come to it, uh, and uh, to get to the interior. And when uh, uh, the founding fathers and Congress, when they were planning the country, one of the things they did was, you know, they they wanted to figure out where the borders were going to be, and they had decided on the St. Lawrence and the Mississippi River were going to be the the northern and western borders. Well, the the only way of getting to the other side of the Appalachian Mountains was uh, by way of the Mohawk River and then into the Great Lakes. Uh, so that became a paramount importance to keep the Mohawk Valley open and in American hands. Mm. We're talking with Norm Bolin. His book is George Washington and the Mohawk Frontier. That name just leaps out uh, that you use the beginning, George Washington. How did, I mean, George Washington only came to the Mohawk Valley, I believe you say twice, maybe some say three times. Yeah. Um, so it's not like he was up in the area a lot. How did uh, Washington stay in, but he apparently was interested in what, you know, vitally interested in what was happening there. Uh, how did he stay informed? Well, uh, and that's kind of how the the book came about, was you find all these letters between Washington and all these key officers back and forth discussing the military situation in the Mohawk Valley, and he's offering advice about how they should handle things. When Washington first received his commission from Congress, uh, on his way from Philadelphia, he's on his way to Boston, but riding with him is is Major General Philip Schuyler, and they they become uh, close friends. So they have quite uh, a discussion on the way uh, to New York City, 
and then while in New York City, Washington consults with the with the the New York uh, Provincial Congress there, and they're discussing uh, uh, the defense of the frontier. And then afterwards, uh, Washington and Schuyler continue to communicate back and forth by letters about uh, the military situation. And then also there are letters between uh, Governor George Clinton, uh, his brother James Clinton, General James Clinton. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then a number of other uh, uh, officers, uh, uh, Goose Van Skoik and, and uh, uh, Ganswort and, uh, and, and Marinus Willett. Uh, so uh, it all starts to paint a picture of, of what's happening in the Mohawk Valley and, and how Washington is really involved in, in, uh, in what has to happen there as far as uh, uh, the military aspects mm-hmm. of the whole campaign there. Where did you find these letters, or where are these letters ar- archived? Uh, in a certain yeah, most place? of it, uh, well, a lot of it came out of the Washington papers, which were online, and uh, so I was able to go through them letter by letter and, and find uh, not only not only uh, the letters between Washington and, and these key people, but then sometimes in other letters, uh, like, for example, there's a, a a good letter where Washington is talking to, um, oh, I can't think of his name, he, he's the new commander of the militia in Virginia, and Washington uh, tells him that, that, he said, if you do as good a job as Nicholas Herkimer did uh, during the uh, late battle at Oriskany, you'll have nothing to worry about. Uh, so, you know, you find this commentary uh, in other letters talking about the Mohawk Valley and the, and the, and the situation there. You did mention uh, right at the outset of your answer that uh, Washington apparently and Philip Schuyler got along or they were uh, allies during the Revolutionary War. And, and in a way, both of them had uh, troubles. I mean, uh, were kind of like not a mutiny exactly, but something like that. I mean, Schuyler was relieved of uh, command. Was he not of, of some of the areas that he was supposed to be in charge of? Yeah, he was. You know, it's, you know, politics is always politics. And when uh, when Fort Ticonderoga is, is uh, abandoned by the Americans, uh, even though Schuyler wasn't involved in the decision, you know he he takes the uh, the rap for it, and Congress was upset about that that they had abandoned Ticonderoga. So that that's when they uh, appointed Horatio Gates to come up and and take command. So they didn't necessarily come out and relieve Schuyler of command. They just kind of sent Gates in there, and then they wanted uh, uh, Philip Schuyler to come to Congress and report on what was going on. So they they kind of wanted to call him on the carpet there. Uh, but uh, but Washington and Schuyler were close friends, and Washington told Schuyler, you know, not not to be concerned about it, but that he should come and report. Uh, and uh, so, you know, he continued. To, Washington continued to support Schuyler, as he did some of the other New York leaders too. Mm-hmm. Whereas the ones in New England were kind of starting to look at after the Battle of Saratoga, they were they were looking more at Horatio Gates as maybe a good replacement for Washington. Mm. You outline what happened in the Mohawk Valley, um, this backs us up a little bit, during the lead-up to the Revolutionary War. The area, I would propose, had at least three competing factions, the, the rebels, uh, the loyalists, the, the European settlers still loyal to Britain, and the Indian nations. And maybe a, a fourth faction was the, who cares about any of this faction? <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, well, that's true enough. You know, they always said that it was kind of divided into thirds, and they, you know, there was a third that didn't care about any of it. They just wanted to, just wanted to uh, uh, work their farms and not get involved in the politics. But of course, you know, that's impossible, and uh, becomes increasingly so as the war uh, uh, progresses. And so eventually people either had to choose up sides and fight it out, or and, and some people just abandoned their property and, and they packed up and left. Um, of course, those people that remained behind, you know, they, they were the ones that were on the front lines fighting the battle, and they often paid for it with their lives and watched their homes be, being burned and, uh, and so on. In this... Uh... Uh, lead up to the revolution and the revolution itself. What was the importance of the Johnson family, the patriarch William, his son John, and uh, William's close ally and common law relative, the Mohawk chief Joseph Brandt? Well, of course, William Johnson, uh, he he dies right on the eve of the revolution, and uh, and his son, uh, Sir John, uh, he moves quickly to to take over the the barony, and then uh, um, as a loyalist, he leads uh, he leads troops uh, back against the Mohawk Valley uh, as the, as the war progresses. Now, you know he is here at the beginning, but eventually he has to flee the area uh, and uh, and go up to uh, I think he went up to Montreal, I believe, but he, he's uh, he's in Canada. And then, as I said, they came back later on with the armies and uh, and began raiding across the frontier. Um, they wanted to, uh, of course, they they wanted to cut off food supplies to Washington's army, but they also wanted to depopulate the area. And there are letters written where where he talks about um, uh, wanting to uh, in depopulating the area. He wants to uh, retain those lands for later on. Uh, so, in effect, create a new border for the northern uh, uh, area of the country. Hmm. Now, uh, histories of the war all place great importance on the American victory in upstate New York in 1777 at the Battles of Saratoga. Uh, w- w- you know, certainly was a very important victory and uh, brought the French into the uh, conflict on the side of the rebels. But there also was this fighting in the uh, Mohawk Valley. Um, I'd ask you two directions on that. When, you know, kind of at the same time as the battles of Saratoga, there was also fighting in the western Mohawk Valley around Oriskany and what is now Rome at the same uh, time. What uh, what happened there? Well, uh, of course, uh, that's where uh, um, General St. Ledger, British General St. Ledger, they come down and uh, you have the siege of Fort Stanwix. And uh, which has been renamed Fort Schuyler. The Americans have, have taken that over. And uh, doing the siege of that fort, they're also looking to uh, create problems in the Mohawk Valley and uh, scare people into cooperating with the British. At the um, Battle of Oriskany, a lot of the uh, Americans are wiped out mm-hmm. at that battle. But Oriskany was kind of, I don't know, would you, would you call it a draw? I mean, a lot of, there were a lot of American casualties. Their leader, Nicholas Herkimer, w- was killed. But the, um, you know, the, it wasn't the great victory that, the, I suppose, the British had hoped for. Uh, no, it wasn't. The, uh, the Americans, they do lose half of their numbers there. Uh, but in the, in the end, they're forced to withdraw. And uh, so Washington kind of really considers it an American victory in the end. Now, also after, I mean, so that happened in 1777, but the Mohawk Valley as a 
as a battleground really seems to me heats up after that with these uh, raids with John Johnson and Joseph Brandt and others uh, at the, at the lead uh, com- pe- coming down from uh, from Canada. In fact, you had one statistic there that uh, the, of all the battles in the Revolutionary War, maybe they weren't like major battles, but a third of them were fought in uh, this part of New York. Uh, yeah, that's true. Uh, that, I've read that statistic too. That uh, uh, that that major share of these battles were fought uh, in New York State. Of course, many of them are down, you know, in the New York City area, but. I think many more of them are in the, are in the upstate area, uh, in the Mohawk Valley and northern Hudson area. People called the Mohawk Valley the Bloody Mohawk. What did that mean specifically? Well, I think that all kind of stems from, you know, when you look at uh, at some of the literature that's out there and from when, when Drums Along the Mohawk was written, uh, and uh, that, that Indian warfare uh, is is very brutal. And uh, I think that's where a lot of that comes from. Uh, there was great fear of the Indians, a lot of that stemming from the French and Indian War. And, uh, um, and that fear carries over. So when you get into, for example, we were just talking about that Battle of Oriskany, and so many of the soldiers being, being lost in that battle, it left the valley wide open uh, to attack. And uh, so that fear really permeated the frontier. They were they were very afraid of the Indians. Yeah, I mean, uh, that's a good point. That that the Battle of Oriskany with so many American casualties among the militiamen, right? Um, that there weren't the troops to protect the Mohawk Valley. No, it was it was the, it was the Tryon County militia. And I probably should have made that point earlier. The Tryon County militia was really from those districts all around. Fort Plain, you know, the Mohawk District, which is more down towards the village of Fonda and Johnstown. The Palatine District is essentially the same as it is now on the north side of the Mohawk River in the town of Palatine. And then the Canajahari District, which ran from uh, the Noses up to uh, uh, Fall Hill near Little Falls, uh, all on the south side of the river. And those are the districts that sent soldiers uh, to fight at Oriskany. So when you have those massive losses that amount to 50, 60 percent, uh, it's very hard to recover uh, from that. I mean, you had one family, like the Snell family. Uh, she lost uh, her husband and three sons, I believe it was, in the battle. So, you know, when, when you have those kinds of losses, it's very difficult to recover from that. And for the next two years, the valley was really kind of wide open to attack. They just could not field enough men to really, really defend themselves properly. And that and that goes back, you see that in letters to Washington, where he's very concerned about that. Norm Boland is author of George Washington and the Mohawk Frontier. By the way, all profits from the book sale go to support the preservation work of the Fort Plain Museum and Historical Park. We'll be back in just a moment here on the Historian's uh, Podcast. I do want to remind you, we do have a GoFundMe campaign that uh, was underway in all of uh, 2018. And here's a little secret. You can still contribute to it uh, at uh, go to GoFundMe.com forward slash Historian's 2018. That's Historian's 2018. If you'd uh, not uh, like to uh, use the internet and uh, your credit card, you could uh, send me a check. Make the check out to Bob Cudmore. Send to Bob Cudmore, 125 Horstman Drive, 
Scotia, New York, 12302, and thank you very much. Norm Bolin is with us. He's author of George Washington and the Mohawk Frontier. Uh, One incident as the war uh, drags on is that uh, General Washington authorizes what's called the Sullivan Campaign, which took the the fighting uh, to some of the Iroquois Indian uh, villages. Can you tell us something about that? Well, yeah, and that's kind of an interesting thing. You often see a lot written about that and uh, a lot that uh, seems to blame Washington. But actually, for the first year of the planning, which is all through 1778, Washington really didn't know exactly what was going on with that. It was authorized by Congress, mm-hmm. but General Gates was the one that was really involved with the planning originally. Okay. But the uh, campaign took place. It was John Sullivan, right? It was uh, Yes, I yes. believe it was John Sullivan. Yeah. The general. Was it effective or uh, especially violent, or what, what happened in that? Uh uh, yeah, I think it was effective. They didn't get any prisoners. That had been one of the goals, to get prisoners that they could ransom off um, and hold as hostages. So they didn't manage to do that. But they did uh, devastate the Indian country, and uh, that forced the uh, Indians to uh, uh, flee to the British for protection. Hmm. Where, where did the campaign take place? It, it wasn't specifically in the Mohawk Valley, was it? No, no, the the... Portage, uh, uh, General uh, uh, Clinton, James Clinton, brings an army of men up from the Albany area, and they portage out to uh, Otsego Lake and Cooperstown. And then from there, they head uh, south where they join uh, General Clinton. I think it's in Tioga. Mm-hmm. And then uh, they march across to, uh, the southern tier and out to the Finger Lakes area, where, yep. mm-hmm. uh, where you have the Battle of Newtown that takes place out near Elmira. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so on. Uh, Norm Bolin again is joining us, author of George Washington and the Mohawk Frontier. I guess the the, the one one thought that occurs to me is, I guess I had always thought, you know, in terms of history, that you know there was the big Battle of Saratoga, and yes, they had the Battle at, uh, uh, of Oriskany and so forth, but that after that the war kind of moved on, went went elsewhere. But this war just keeps coming back uh, to the. Um, uh, Mohawk Valley, uh, right up until the very end of hostilities, correct? Oh, oh yeah. Uh, of course, the main war, yes, they did. Originally, they, uh, Washington, they had planned to uh, attack New York City and drive the British out there. Uh, they realized that's just not possible. And eventually, with the French, after the, the French arrived, they decided to head south. And that's where you eventually have the Battle of Yorktown that occurs in the uh, fall of 81. Uh, But here on the frontier, uh, the fighting all continues. Uh, And uh, so that goes through 81 and into most of 82, 1782. And that's one of the concerns Washington has after Yorktown is that he's very concerned that Congress is going to want to just disband the army and start uh, thinking the war is over. And, you know, the war is not over. Uh, He says that the... uh, um, British still have 25,000 troops in America. So uh, um, so he's concerned that uh, if they send people home too soon, you know, it could still all fall apart. And intelligence tells him that there's another large campaign being planned uh, against the Mohawk Valley. So they begin uh, fortifying all the defenses up here uh, to get, uh, get ready for another big campaign. But that campaign never materialized. 
No, it didn't. Uh, they realized by, I think it's the end of 1782, they realized that it's probably not going to happen. Everybody is settling in for the winter. The uh, uh, diplomats are making progress on a, on setting up a peace treaty, so then things begin to quiet down as they go into the winter of 82. Mm. Now, <clears throat> and apparently the British, well, let me start it this way, uh, we're accustomed to the borders that we have, you know, that uh, uh, New York State goes up to the St. Lawrence River and uh, Lake Ontario on the side, and but that wasn't written in stone. I mean, didn't the British want to like make the border, you know, assuming even that they're going to lose the war in one way or another, make the border farther south? Uh, yeah, and uh, that's of course that's one of the concerns uh, that I had mentioned earlier uh, that uh, the British are now occupying. When you get to eighty-two, they're occupying Oswego again. And one of the concerns, uh, very often when treaties are established, sometimes everybody just stays put where they are and, they, and they'll set up a treaty. And, of course, the Americans didn't want that to happen. They wanted to keep the uh, British on the north side of the St. Lawrence. And, in fact, that's when you get into uh, the winter of 83, in February 1783, uh, we launch uh, a secret mission that Washington and Willett put together as a launch from Fort Plain uh, to attack Oswego. They want to take the fort and basically push the British to the other side of the St. Lawrence uh, and, and north of the Great Lakes. And uh, so that, that mission, which does not succeed, but that mission goes off in February of 80, 1783 uh, to try and do that. Mm. Now, they were lucky in the end that when the treaty was uh, uh, finally established, they agreed that the St. Lawrence would be the uh, the border of the country, so uh, so the British were going to stay on the north side in Canada. Norm Boland talking with us about his book, George Washington and the uh, Mohawk Frontier. Uh, we're you know getting close in the narrative here to the end of the war, the end of the war, and it's toward the end of the war and maybe after the war that Washington finally comes to the Mohawk Valley. Um, he comes to Schenectady in 1782, correct? 1782, uh, and that's kind of, you know, I cover that a lot in the book. That's kind of has to do with the fact that he's getting these mixed reports that he doesn't understand where they're talking about uh, getting Fort Plain into a state of readiness and they're going to collect all the troops there and they want money to finish up work at Fort Plain and Washington you know, won't give him any money. And he finally, uh, one of the letters he receives seems to set off alarm bells and he boards a boat and heads right up to Albany to inspect the post. And it's only when he gets to Schenectady and talks with Willett that he finds out that Fort Plain and Fort Rensselaer are really the same place. Uh, so, so even the commander in chief was confused about the, these multiple names and the forts that we, that we get into. Wow. Uh, so, but he wants to, uh, he's in Schenectady, he does want to come up the valley, but that same, almost that same week, Fort Herkimer was surrounded by 500 Indians and it was just too dangerous. So they wouldn't let him come past Schenectady, uh, that year. Now the following year in 83, yes, he, uh, the, now, uh, there's a ceasefire in place. They're waiting for the final treaty. So he's able to come up the valley and visit all these posts. Mm. Uh, yeah, and in fact, that's uh, quite a story in and of itself. I mean, he comes to uh, old Fort Johnson. He goes to uh, Fort Plain, which, as you say, is called Fort Rensselaer at the time. 
That's right. That's right. That was actually the official post name. And that goes back to, again, this is covered in the book, uh, uh, that there, there were arguments. They didn't, the, the locals didn't really like General Van Rensselaer very well. He had, uh, uh, they blamed him for uh, the uh, mishandling at the Battle of Stone Arabia and, and, uh, uh, and uh, also the August 2nd raid, which was before the Battle of Stone Arabia, uh, that he just should have had been more aggressive, had more troops on the frontier. And a lot of that is really not his fault, but uh, but there are other military commanders that blame him for that. So this name, multiple names, it's almost as though they come up with the name Fort Plain almost more like an insult than anything. <laughs> I mean, there are other stories written about where that name comes from, but uh, but you can't really find anything official with the name Fort Plain prior to when it was being called Fort Rensselaer. And uh, Fort Rensselaer was the official military name of that of that outpost. Washington made quite an impression, though, coming through in 1783. Oh, oh absolutely. You know, they, they knew, you know, when he was leaving on that trip, uh, couriers had gone ahead and they would uh, tell everybody uh, that the commander-in-chief was on his way. And you can see in the orders, the daily orderly notes for uh, Fort Rensselaer, you could see them getting ready for... The commander-in-chief's arrival, although they don't mention him by name, because uh, that would have been all secret. But uh, but they they appoint a new fife major and give him orders to start rehearsing uh, every day, for, uh, so that uh, they have a, a fife and drum corps that can play and and greet the commander-in-chief. You know, you see orders that all drinking has to stop for <laughs> ten days. Okay, <laughs> so those kinds of things. Uh, so they they're preparing for him, and then of course when he arrives in the area, there's a lot written in local history books talking about where he stayed across the river and coming up to the fort, uh, and then touring the area the next day. I, from as near as I can tell in local information mm-hmm. and actually tracking the mileage, it looks like he went up into Stone Arabia and toured the Stone Arabia battlefield and, mm-hmm. then, and then continued on up the mm-hmm. valley to Fort Herkimer and out to Fort Stanwix over the next couple of days before mm. returning to Fort Plain again. George Washington and the Mohawk Frontier, the name of Norm Boland's book. We have just a couple of minutes left, Norm. Where is the book available? How can it be purchased? Well, right now we've got it. Uh, it's down at the, the Book Hound in Amsterdam here, uh, Dan Weaver's uh, bookstore. It's also at Mysteries mm-hmm. in Main Street over in Johnstown. And we've been trying to do some orders. Uh, uh, Brian Mack has been trying to take care of some mail orders for right now. It will eventually be available uh, through Amazon. We just haven't got all that set up yet. And I'm uh, going to be going to a few other bookstores uh, to see about getting a place down in Schenectady and, and hopefully over in Saratoga. As soon as I get time, I'm just trying to having trouble fitting everything in right now. Why, sure. Also, in addition to the narrative of the story, which we've been discussing, you have uh, quite a section of appendices, right? What, what, what do you ha- have in the end of the book? Well, the appendix, I just realized as we were getting into discussing a lot of these uh, military, 18th century military terms, it seemed like a good idea uh, to uh, set up an appendix and explain some of the, this terminology to people. I was trying to write the book so that the average person could read this and not be lost and know what's going on. There's certainly a great deal of detailed information. I do a lot with excerpts of letters uh, for that Washington had written and other people had written back and forth. 
and I like to put that in there so you can actually see what was being said. Mm-hmm. Uh, but also, uh, I wanted to have that book uh, easy to understand, you know, for somebody that might be just mm-hmm. starting out. And, and you can look up information in the back of that very easily. Well, Norm Boland, uh, thank you for joining us. Norm is the author of George Washington and the Mohawk Frontier. Profits go to support the preservation work of the Fort Plain New York Museum and Historical Park. You've been listening to The Historian's Podcast. I'm Bob Cudmore.